I'm Bridget Trong. And I'm Tom Yanni. On today's episode, we're talking about branded partnerships. As a creator, how do you get them? What are brands looking for? And what does a partnership actually look like? This truly is how branded partnerships work on social media. Sorry, I gotta get my CBD. What's you smoking on? It's the Alaire pen. Alaire pen? How long does it last for? I don't know. I just got it at the Lift and Co conference. How was that cannabis conference? It's actually really interesting. Have you been to one of those before? I've been to conferences where they talk about cannabis, but yeah. not a specific cannabis conference. So I've been to my fair share of conferences, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you have. Can we just talk about how friendly everyone is at a cannabis conference? <laughs> so nice. Are things on time? Like five Are new there friends. plenty of snacks available? <laughs> there. I feel weren't. like it would be disorganized and just. You know, <laughs> you know what's funny? I didn't see a lot of snacks. Maybe I just missed them. But um, mm. there was there were a ton of vendors, and I was saying to you earlier, these vendors were just next level. Like their budgets, I assume, were a lot bigger than a lot of other businesses out there. But it was just a fun event. It was really really beautiful and met some really cool people in the space everyone's just like they look at this space as a giant community you know yeah it's interesting though that uh like it does seem like there's a lot of money in it and yet there's only a couple in ontario or i guess in toronto dispensaries that are open in a bunch of markets nothing has come available yet there's a shortage of supply there's all of these issues with the market and yet there's all the money it's weird it is it's like weird. it has barely even scratched the surface things haven't opened up there's well, not that much available what is it going to look like in a couple of years if people have money now it's well, crazy cannabis hasn't been legalized for even a year yet in yeah. canada so we've got some time i think in the next five years we'll actually see a lot of cannabis brands incorporated into events um content and, you know, it's a great area with marketing, but I think in the next few years, we're going to find like kind of a groove, which I'm excited for. Yeah, it's going to be There's so many stories to tell in the space. It's going to be very interesting to see how it evolves. And there's a lot of American companies that are trying to get a piece of the pie here business-wise. So it's, I feel like the government has been, they're treating it like tobacco, right? In terms of marketing and advertising and things of that nature. You can't say anything. You can't make any lifestyle claims, any medicinal claims. It's just like tobacco rather than alcohol where you can have like billboards and you can run creator campaigns and you see alcohol ads everywhere. You can't do that for cannabis. But I feel like that's going to change because if not, um, a lot of people that have granted licenses and whatnot, there's American companies that are trying to buy those and get in on it. And then Ultimately, the whole reason for legalization was another source of taxation and another way to stimulate the economy. So if they end up letting too many American companies in, it's just going to be counterproductive. Well, I mean, you've worked with a couple of cannabis brands, right? We're talking to a few right now, but we were working with a couple other ones pre-October 17, 2018. So like just before legalization. Ironically, a lot of companies were more willing to do business before October 17th because the moment that that date hit, the new legislation for what you can and cannot say took effect and it really restricted what company, it still is restricting what companies can do right now, like greatly. It's Yeah, I actually partnered, I partnered with your agency and a cannabis brand. Can I mention the cannabis brand? I think so. Yeah, Soleil. Yeah. Um, It was literally the eve of the whole legalization. So it was October 16th. Yeah, and yeah. that got finalized at 11 p.m. the night before. It did. I was, it was so last minute. I had to post before midnight that yeah. night. I remember that vividly. But yeah. this actually lends itself to the topic of this episode. Yeah. Branded partnerships, how to actually do that when you're a creator or you are an inspiring content creator on social media. We thought it'd be a really interesting topic to cover because... I am familiar with it from the creator side of things and you from the agency side of things. So we can offer both sides of the equation to our listeners today. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell this to the people that are listening. For you with the different deals that you get, um, how many of them are people approaching you versus you finding, like where's the majority of your, uh, your collaborations come from? How do you identify the right partnerships? How do you know when it's a good deal for you and where do they come from? Tom, you just asked 10 questions. I know. That's like <laughs> Let me a start fatal with number flaw one. in interviewing. Let me barrage you with 
a series of questions and handle that. Go for it. You're a pro. What's the first question? Okay, so let me just kind of take it back. I mean, so I started really going full throttle on social media about five years ago. And I was dating a Snapchat celebrity at the time. It wasn't serious, but I knew enough about what he was doing. And I was like, what's happening? He's actually being hired by brands, one of which was Taco Bell. They flew him out to LA to cover this new menu launch. And I went with him. And so I'm like, okay, so this is your job. You're actually just working with a brand. Sorry, not just, but you're working with a brand. You're creating content that lives on your channel and they pay you for it. He's like, yeah, it's it's actually becoming a thing in the States. This was unfamiliar territory in Canada. And I'm sure you can speak on the agency side of things afterwards, you know, trying to... This is five years ago? This is about five years ago. Yeah, totally. It was probably like unprecedented at that time. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But when I took to social media, the business side of things, especially because it wasn't... I didn't see it as a possibility in Canada at that point. um, I just started putting out content. But throughout the past five years, I've learned that it's really important to actually create content not just taking pictures but having a story behind what you're doing you know what i mean that consistency that narrative that people can follow along with relate to and actually enjoy keeping up with so that's kind of how i started picking up traction what was your ninth question (laughs) (laughs) forget what was it Uh, i was just wondering um I guess the ninth and tenth. So number nine is how do you identify which companies are are good good business for you? Good. Um, it makes sense in terms of something that you truly believe in and that you're passionate about and that you want to share with your audience. How do you identify those? Mm-hmm. And then the tenth question is what percentage of um, of your collaborations are you seeking out that person versus maybe um, your agency finding it for you versus the brand coming to you directly, that sort of thing. So brands will come to me sometimes because I have a management team. Sometimes they'll pitch ideas to brands as well if there's an alignment. But that's really, really important when you start working with the brands is really doing your research and understanding the brand message, uh, what their campaign is, what they're trying to sell. And does it fit into your life? Is this something that you can actually promote genuinely because you enjoy is that the like product. a gut feel normally or what is it i mean a lot no a lot of times it's oh yeah i use that product all the time i would like love to talk about it and it would come from a very sincere place just think about it this way we're selling every single day on social media think of facebook if we see a video we like we naturally share it so if i'm going to sell something it's easier to sell it if i enjoy that product if I enjoy that message or what have you, if I don't like it, people can cut through the bullshit and they can see that you're just picking up that paycheck. But I think it's really, really important to actually align yourself with brands who spread the same message, who you enjoy naturally, um, and then kind of go from there. But I'm interested in hearing about your side of things because I've worked with your agency for a couple of campaigns and it's been a ton of fun. They kind of like, they run the gamut. It's not, it's really the lifestyle spectrum that you guys touch upon. Yeah, we work in, we work with events, we work with not-for-profits, for for products, for, yeah, there's really uh, not like a single type of campaign that we run. Right. But it's more like pursuing passion projects for us. So things that we are really interested in doing are the types of projects that we'll pursue or fulfill. So where does it start? Does it start with you as an agency coming up with an idea and then pitching to the brand and then finding those creators who might fit their voice and their message? So usually it is companies coming to us. It's usually brands that reach out to us say saying either they've run an influencer campaign and they're not completely happy with the results or, hey, we've heard about this and we're interested in giving it a shot. Can you tell us more about it? So depending on where they are at, whether they've got a lot of experience or minimal experience that would sort of um, dictate the exact approach. But basically what it comes down to is gathering all of the information you possibly can. So we have like a questionnaire that lets us know, all right, what are the timelines? What's the budget? What is the tone of your messaging? Do you have any other media in market that we should know about or any other sort of campaigns on the go that this would be looking to complement? Do you have any like hashtags or key 
key messages that need to be incorporated into the content that's produced? Do you have a certain idea in mind in terms of are you looking to work with a, a creator or an influencer that is a mom or lifestyle or fitness or food or is it all of these different things? And are we looking for people that are sort of at the micro level or are you looking for more celebrity type endorsements? So we got to gather a, a whole lot of information to better understand where they are at and what they're looking for and what success means to them too. So again, is it um, generally looking to build awareness around an event or a new product or is it selling tickets to that event? Because that would change things as well, right? There's some creators that have huge reach but not as much engagement. So you know if you're just trying to get the word out then they would be really good for that. But if they're looking to sell tickets, then maybe not as much because their engagement rate might not be as high. Oh, right? wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, for sure. And so what we'll do is we'll gather all of that information through meetings or phone calls, or whatever the case may be, and then we'll put together a deck. We'll put together a presentation that outlines our philosophical approach to these campaigns and what we're hoping to achieve, what we know about them, what we know about what they're hoping to achieve, and then we would framework, all right, here are the types of creator categories or the types of influencers that uh, we think would be a fit. And at this stage, it's actually pretty rare that we have specific people. We're more just like high level saying a mom, a fitness influencer, a food influencer, things like that, where we're just sort of frameworking the plumbing system of the campaign. We're going to have 10 people in 10 different markets produce two posts each plus a series of six stories total over a six week period and here's how it's all going to be sequenced so we we map out how much content will be produced by who in what markets what percentage of their audience lives in the different markets what percentage of their audience is male versus female what percentage of their audience um is demonstrating an interest in these types of product categories too right so we have some tools that we use that give us a little bit of audience insights and once they buy into the, the overall theme or um, the details of the program, that's when we then reach out to people like yourself and say, hey, Bridget, we've just secured a new program with company X, and these are the details. We're looking for somebody that's willing to produce two posts and six stories over a three-week period between these dates. This is the budget that's available are you interested? We do everything personal too. You've probably noticed with us, it's not just like a... It's not automated. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Well, I feel like, or we feel like, um, we can establish much better working relationships with people like yourself when we take that approach. And it it ends up translating into the work that's produced. Because if you're just getting emails from something, then um, it's just harder to maintain the same quality of work and to feel as committed to it. For sure. And also... There's an element of like, all right, let's say something goes a little bit sideways, meaning like, oh, the the client just made a last minute demand change. Well, if I just send you an email, you might not check that for like a day or two or something versus if I can just pick up the phone and be like, hey, you know where we're at with this? There's just one minor change that needs to happen and we've already have a rapport established. And so that's kind of the approach that we take. But then from there, once the participants are selected within the given budget range that was provided to us, then we framework basically a work back schedule or a blocking chart to kind of highlight who's posting on what day at what time. And then we got to make sure we build in enough approval time for the brand so that they can see the content before it goes live and that mm -hmm. they're happy with it. And then once we give the participants a green light, they post and then we track and report. You'll notice like we always gather screenshots from, from you guys mm -hmm. just about how it's results. Yeah, impressions, reach, engagement, yep. swipe ups, click throughs, things of that nature, which we then aggregate for for the client as well. So I want to backpedal just a little bit because you know when you were talking about offering um, different categories to these potential clients of yours or these brands, you look at celebrities, you look at the massive influencers, and you look at micro-influencers. So the landscape is it changes all the time, and it changes so quickly, but the idea of micro-influencers came up, I'd say, maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah, people are even know. saying nano-influencers now. Really? Okay, so what's considered micro-influencer? We actually have a, a video coming up in the next few weeks where I discuss that. So Shameless plug! <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, there, there's no... 
it's gonna it's gonna be variable depending on who you ask. So the one thing I would say is, okay, so what's the point that you would say this person is now an influencer or a creator? What's the what's the number? So the again, totally dependent upon who you ask, and people will have different answers. The one thing that we would kind of lean on would be as soon as you have so first of all, Instagram is the large and most popular platform for many of these campaigns. YouTube would be second, but Instagram primarily number one for sure. And what is the point where you can do a swipe up on Instagram stories? It's once you have 10,000 10, followers. So that is a huge key to the vast majority of campaigns. A simple post, while helpful, um, on Instagram you can't click from a post to a third-party site other than putting it a link in your bio. But when you complement that with stories and you have the swipe up feature, that allows a lot more traffic to whatever um, client page we're directing to. So that's when you kind of get in the game a little bit more, once you hit that 10,000 mark. I would say that in Canada, the definition of micro-influencer is different than in the United States too, because we've got 37 million people. They have 370 million, way more, um, it sounds callous, but inventory. There's way more people available. There's so right. many more options. And there's so many more people with larger audiences just because they exist in a bigger market. So in Canada, usually, um, I don't know, I might say like 50,000 or less would be kind of more micro, but that is completely, it, there's no like foundation to that. It's not like there's been some guidelines provided by some overarching regulatory body that says, this is the stage where you are now a macro. Like, it's yeah, not really it's such how a gray it area because yeah. I've seen creators or people on social media let's just stick with instagram for example who has two thousand followers yeah <laughs> but they have they have campaigns every now and then yeah so i guess that's a nano, the nano influencer nano micro and there are some companies that will get like a hundred nano influencers and they'll say well you know um they may only have two thousand followers but we're gonna get a hundred of these people with two thousand followers in because they are um operating with a much smaller audience it's like friends and family and whatnot so they'll really pay attention to them that exactly. sort of thing but exactly. um i don't know I, that's a slippery slope yeah i mean the message really is I, back in the day and by back in the day i mean like maybe four years ago um but back in the day when this all came about in canada um you want it to be that six-figure influencer you know what I mean? You wanted to have over 100,000 followers maybe to get those big campaigns. Yeah. Nowadays, like you said, there's nano, there's micro. Like I'm in the micro category if we're sticking to what you're saying. And you don't necessarily have to beat yourself up for that follower count. No. You just need to focus on the content. And yeah. it goes back to one of our, I mean, our first episode actually when we talked about Instagram eliminating the likes. Um, yes, engagement is important, but you just have to focus on the content. And if it's good, the brands will follow. You just have to be consistent about it. That's all. Yeah, it's a lot of work too. It's People underestimate the amount of work it work. takes. Yeah, a lot time. of work. So, more agency questions. Sure. When you present suggested creators to these brands, do they hand pick which ones they want to be included? So during the initial presentation, it's very rare that we actually have individual people. We're normally just saying like, we're going to get 10 people total that fit these profiles or that live in these markets with this type of audience, like that sort of thing. It's right. more high level. But do you Once, pick it or do they pick people after that? After that, we comb through our uh so we don't represent anybody exclusively we work with talent agents agencies athletes musicians as well as we've had gosh i don't even know like thousands of people have submitted the form on our website to be uh, available for campaigns so we'll comb through our own database as well as all the different networks that we're associated with to find the people that we think are the best fit based on the criteria that's been set forth by the brand and then based on that we present that to the brand and say, here's a list of all the different people that fit the profile in the different categories that we think would make sense. And we're transparent with numbers too. So we'll just say that, and these are their price points for this engagement. So now it's up to you. You have the options, you have the considerations and you know what it will cost. Pick which ones you think would be best. So maybe we provide them, if we're looking for 10, maybe we provide them with a list of 30 or 40 or something that we think are the best fit and they'll select 
their top 10. You always come in, by the way. Do I? Yeah. Oh my For whatever what reason, you're very popular with them. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that makes me feel so nice. You know what I'd love to do, though? I'd love to break down what the campaign process actually looks like from start to finish. Okay. If that works for you. So for my side of things, usually, like you said, it's an agency that reaches out. So it's not directly from the brand, unless they have an in-house PR communications team, but usually they outsource. And so the agency will approach you via email and say, hey, we have this upcoming campaign to promote so-and-so. Um, would you be interested? And then they list what the deliverables will be just like you had mentioned. So mm -hmm. it's two static Instagram posts, a YouTube video, three Instagram stories, whatever it is. And then they ask you what your rate is. So if you're starting out or you're starting to pick up some traction, I really recommend putting together a rate card as yeah. soon as you can and just having it available and ready to go. Because you don't know who's going to reach out at any point in time. Yeah, or a media kit with a rate card too. Exactly, Examples yes. of organic content versus if you have done any campaigns, examples of that as well, yep. a breakdown of your audience. Yeah, exactly. Demographics, give us a little bio, but have, it's essentially like a little slideshow, a PDF slideshow that you can send over really quickly. Um, and then from there, usually negotiate. Sometimes they'll say, yes, your rates work. Let's make it happen. Or sometimes there's a negotiation process. But with that comes, you know, a brief of what the brand is looking for, what kind of message they're trying to get out there and um, how it'll fit into your voice or how you can execute um, what they're looking for, but through your brand and your voice in a genuine man manner. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. And like you said, there are deadlines set. Usually there's an approval date and then there's a posting date. So it's very, it's like a multi-process situation. Sometimes these guys will approach you like a week out from the posting date, which is, it can be stressful, especially yeah. if videos are involved. Um, but most of the time you got a few weeks to actually hammer it out. But um, within that, I, th I feel like a lot more brands are now stepping up and saying, okay, we need to actually build more of a relationship with creators or maybe um, get to know them on a different level and make sure we're all on the same page. So there's usually like a call yeah, to get everyone, you know, on the same page and then the execution comes up. So it's, it's a whole process. You, it's very rare that it's just one draft for content. Usually there are some edits, um, but it's not like willy nilly where you just snap a picture and then post it. It's, it's a business. Yeah, for sure it is. And it's a job. It is. Right? It's a profession, but mm -hmm. it's it's a job too. So the people that are really excelling in this and are evolving and getting better and um, getting better deals and being able to continue to kind of grow their income from this are selective with the deals that they pick. They're professionals. They deliver on time. They deliver quality. Yep. Being um, on time. Oh, well, it's huge. It's massive. It Actually, really I'll say is. on the agency side... Like when we're not running influencer marketing campaigns, if we're doing a social advertising campaign on YouTube or on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, you know that if you put this money into the advertising platform, it will deliver those ads at that time, at that budget, to those people. There's, it's, it's absolute clockwork. And so when you're dealing with people, boy, there's a lot of different... <laughs> We have seen some things, I'll tell you. Can you give us an example? Um, no names, just Oh, the worst is just story. somebody just doesn't, like last minute doesn't show up or doesn't. So you have every indication that everything is going smoothly and that they are well-equipped to do what they've been contracted to do. And then like right before you're expecting them to deliver their work, it's like, oh, I can't make it. Or what? Yeah, like we've had people that just didn't show up to events, and without saying anything. Well, like last minute, they're like, I'm not going to be able to make it. You're like, wow, that really puts us in a bind. So, what do you? What happens at that point when someone doesn't show up for an event that they're contractually obligated to be at, or they don't deliver their content on time? Have you ever seen brands just drop them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because big lesson, you lose. Um, trust immediately, right? Like you yeah. just can't trust that they're not going to do that again. And um, like you were mentioning, oftentimes these campaigns are taking place under fairly tight timelines. So 
you need someone to be reliable. You need them to, you really place an emphasis on the agency side on people that are professionals that are on time and that deliver quality because you know that uh, they're going to help you out and that they're going to live up to their end of the bargain. Like you said, it's a job. Yeah. If you don't show up on time or if you don't show up at all, you get fired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But something can be said with being selective. You know, selective with what you do in life or what you do as a content creator. It's really important to know what your boundaries are, to know how to say no, because you can't say yes to everything. If you say yes to everything, first of all, it does look like you're money hungry on social media. You're not actually delivering organic content if you're just consistently pumping out paid partnerships, in my opinion. I think that you have to pick and choose because if you say no, it, there's another opportunity down the road. It's, that's just not the only one sitting there in arm's reach. There's going to be plenty more. And if you're strategic with who you partner with, the right brands will come along and they're always watching you. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that a lot of content creators, um, a couple little mistakes that people make sometimes. The first is that, let's say... I'll just use car companies as an example. Let's say that Ford approaches you and they're going to offer you X plus um, the ability to have this Ford Focus for a week and they just want you to drive all around and experience it and document having fun with their car. Now, if that's just a one-off and you don't stand to gain too much from that and it's a bit too transactional, if it's not something that could extend into... A longer-term partnership or if you're you don't feel like it's really gonna serve you then you're best to turn that down because it could be that Chevy or Acura or BMW or something else would have liked to do a much more robust campaign with you in a couple weeks or a month or two months or three months but as soon as you've worked with somebody in their category you might be discounted and I don't think creators always think about that as soon as you work with someone in a product category there is a possibility that any of their competitors have now discounted you from future participation because of that. And we see that. So sometimes we'll put somebody forward and the brand will come back to us and be like, ah, but 12 months ago they worked with competitor X, so we don't really want to do that anymore. And sometimes it's an indirect competitor. So let's say it's like a nutrition company. Maybe, um, maybe once upon a time that creator did a post for like a fast food company and they're like, ah, we don't know that we're truly organic and, and a natural food supplier and we don't, we don't want to associate ourselves with that. It's like sometimes I'm not even sure I always agree with it. You right, know? right. But it's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. But adding to that, long-term partnerships, I think, are really key. Yeah. It, it shows followers, it shows the public that there is a loyalty, that you actually do you really enjoy that product or that event or that service, whatever it is, and why wouldn't you keep using it? I think that more creators and more brands should actually look into those long-term relationships versus one-offs. One-offs are good. They still get you know traction and it still generates awareness. Um, but I think when you have a longer term, like maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year with content that's spread out into you know quarterly process, it just it it you know. You're actually staying on top of people's minds and it just shows how loyal you are to that brand and it comes from a genuine place hopefully yeah it's better for both parties i think that's the if you're a content creator that's the ultimate goal to find a handful of brands that you really really love and to stick with those and it's funny because so traditional celebrity if you are an athlete or a musician or an actor or whatever Oftentimes, those people will have ongoing, like, think of, like, Matthew McConaughey with uh, Lincoln, right? Like, he's got a new Lincoln commercial that comes out every couple months. That's been happening for years and years. Do you think they give him a free Lincoln every time? I don't know. If he wants one, I'm sure he could get one. (laughs) He can do it every once. You're probably (laughs) right. Those are hilarious, by the way. Yeah. But um, same thing with, obviously, companies like Nike or Adidas. They have their set athletes that they're just always working with, and those are their partners and you're starting to see that more and more in the influencer space especially in the united states it's still a little bit new in canada that way still some companies kind of dip in their toes in the water a little bit and haven't 
committed to individuals in that same fashion, but I bet you that will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I worked with Pantene last fall, I want to say, and it was a one-off, and it I had a blast. I, you know, I had a chance to create a video, and I think a couple other pieces of content. Didn't think anything of it afterwards, but they came back and said, we'd love to work with you for a year. I was like, this is great. I use Pantene all the time. Yeah. Um, the more you put out this content, though, the more trolls you'll, you'll actually see. Oh, I bet. Yeah, which actually I posted about today because I got a few trolls on Facebook, which is fine. It actually thickens my skin a bit. Um, but people will, you know, like once you put yourself out there, especially in the branded space, because when you do branded partnerships, a lot of the times brands will put money towards these posts and boost them so that they'll yep. get more eyeballs. So the more eyeballs, the more chances are that you'll get, you know, a variety of feedback. Um, but even so, people are still seeing it. They see that relationship. And um, I think as long as you're genuine about it, that's all that matters. Yeah, agreed, for sure. Something I do want to note, though, uh, to my fellow creators out there, aspiring creators, that they shouldn't hang their hat on branded partnerships as either their full-time business or a part of their business forever. Go on. I just think that sometimes when you are a creator, you get so much thrown at you. And by that, I mean perks. You know, you're invited everywhere. You get free stuff all the time. You get to work with brands that you grew up with and you never thought it'd be possible you thought like you said athletes would be doing this kind of stuff but obviously times have changed and with that sometimes your ego can become a little inflated and you might think that this is a forever game we've seen it because the the industry is changing so quickly we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i don't think the influencer space is going to go anywhere i don't think branded partnerships are going to go anywhere but there's always a new crop of talents. You know what I mean? So I think for creators out there, it's really important just to keep focusing on your work and keep evolving your work um, and not just depend on these branded partnerships to pay for your bills because it might not last forever. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, and I suppose does. that's, I mean, that's just a good rule of thumb in general for, yeah. for all forms. Even like with our agency, we're always willing to evolve based on the market. Right. So um, we're called the influence agency, not the influencer marketing agency for a reason. And that's because marketing is about influence. So no matter what happens at a macro level around the world in terms of how people are engaging with media, the brand name itself will be able to evolve with that. Um, that's good branding. Way yeah, to go. Noah Parker for that one. Shout out Noah. Um, it's interesting, too, because a lot of creators, influencers are now having other types of business opportunities, which I think is kind of what you're talking about, where some of them are developing their own products mm-hmm. or some of them are... They're starting um, their own agencies. Yeah, yeah. They're becoming... I don't know. So like an example would be Jillian Harris. Yes. Obviously, she was uh, the bachelorette and she's on Love It or List. So this is not kind of like a, a fair example because she had a lot of momentum in other areas of media and whatnot beforehand. But... Um, you see all the different projects that she gets involved in and that is a little bit of a roadmap for a lot of other people I think that would be in your position or people that are creators to follow just in terms of um, diversifying the different business opportunities that you're involved in and creating multiple streams of revenue Yep. and not just pigeonholing yourself so that if something goes dry for a little period of time then you have other areas where you can complement that. Agreed. It's leveraging. Don't sit on things. Leverage those opportunities that are already there. Yeah. It Leverage actually, what's going on. That actually makes creators, influencers more attractive to brands as well. Because, so for instance, I mentioned earlier that for whatever reason, you seem to um, often be selected when we put you forward. Well, I would say that part of that reason is because of the work that you've done on the watch list for CHCH and interviewing at TIFF and being a Cineplex VIP host and being media trained and being able to produce video. Like you've got diversified skills and experiences that support the interests of the brand more often than not versus if you were just taking some pictures, 
then that is not as diverse of an offering. I appreciate that. I think it's also just knowing, um, especially when you come from a media background, that you're kind of expendable the next day. You oh, can be. Media's cutthroat that way. It's so cutthroat. Um, so I think just knowing that, I know that, you know, it's nothing is stable these days. Um, there's competition everywhere, which is healthy. I think you should have a perspective that competition is good and it just motivates you to maybe try something else, pivot or whatever it is. But um, you should never hang your hat on one thing. So do you have one piece of advice that you would give to other aspiring creators, content creators, in terms of something to keep in mind when determining whether a deal would be a good deal for them? And even when they're maybe formulating a strategy for, all right, this is going to be my approach, this is going to be my content strategy for the next six months, 12 months, and these are the types of brands that I would like to attract with this, or these are the types of partnerships I would be super keen to participate in. Do you have any advice for other creators in terms of how to put together that strategy and um, how to identify when the right opportunity presents itself? So I think it all starts from branding. Um, And you know, the word authentic is thrown around a million times. I almost hate the word authentic because it really doesn't mean anything. I feel like it's strategic to use the word authentic, which doesn't make you authentic. You need a good synonym because it is a good describing word. I guess, but like, I feel like social media has really ruined it for me. I don't know. I'm not trying to be It has become a dirty word in the industry, which is a bit of a shame. Okay, but there's strategy in everything we post, isn't there? Think about it. I'm going to take a picture of us podcasting right now. And I'm going to say, oh, what's my caption? There's strategy behind that. Yeah. You know, it's not just like, hey, or maybe it could be hey, but um, there's usually strategy in everything you do before you get that content out there. So I think it starts with strategizing a brand. Who are you? And a lot of people would argue that you need to find your niche. I don't know if that's necessarily true for everyone because you've seen a lot of lifestyle creators who have done well and lifestyle is a pretty broad spectrum. Um, but the niche, the niches do do well. So it's, it's knowing who you are. What do you want to talk about? Are, are you just really into fashion? Is it vintage fashion? Are you into, um, uh, sports from a female's perspective are you into entertainment are you into you know the the healthy wellness mother scene so once you once you know what kind of brand you want to convey to the world which should be totally reflective of who you are right um i think it'd be easy for you to actually carve out content consistently because then you know okay well so i'm i don't know an expectant mother i'm not by the way, but I, I'm an expecting mother and um, I want to learn more about, um, I don't know, caring for an infant in the first year. Um, so I'll probably start posting about that. I'll probably start reaching out to the community and asking them for tips. And it kind of just goes from there. But once you kind of define um, your voice on social media, it makes it a lot easier for you to create your content. And then once you do, I think the momentum starts picking up. And that's when you'll start picking up traction with followers and brands will actually understand who you are and what you enjoy talking about. Right. So maybe self-awareness is a big key then. Massive. Because if you are trying to be on the topic of authenticity, I suppose. But if you're trying to project a certain image that isn't truly who you are or how you feel, then you're probably going to get in some trouble on that one. I just think it would make it so hard for you to actually enjoy posting and actually creating content with and for these brands. Maybe that's where social social media anxiety comes from, right? Yeah, trying to be someone you're not. I think you just got to stick to your guns. And I've heard, I don't know, maybe you know this from the stats that you've curated recently, that the posts that are performing well right now are the ones that are just more lifestyle, like natural shots. Oh, yeah. You know, not filtered heavily or anything like that. Yeah, overly produced. That's an interesting one because that has changed. It used to be that like magazine style, super glossy, finished, elegant, captivating was the name of the game mm-hmm. and then especially with the what is it uh gen z i guess the the people that are sort of in high school right now or in 
starting university or in university, apparently that group of individuals is they prefer kind of grimy type stuff. Like okay. I've, I've read like some articles. Yeah, okay. but also like very unpolished and not super overproduced. And it's interesting then because sometimes I'll look at the feeds of some of these people. So like in the U.S. there might be some creator that has like half a million followers or something. And you look at the pictures and you're like, wow, what is it that stands out about that? Or what is it that like that's where it gets interesting for me where I, from a psychological perspective, I'm like, why did that take off? Or why did that catch? Or why did so many people follow you versus as far as like my naked eye can tell, I see like 15 other people producing what looks like almost the exact same content. Mm-hmm. And they have like 400 followers and you have 400,000. What, what's happening here? Like, how did that happen? I don't know. Do you have any tips for like, okay, so we deal with people once they have an audience, right? Like every now and then we'll get emails from people that are like, can you make me an influencer? We talked about this in the first episode. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not what we do. I have a baby but, at home. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And even before that, no thanks. But um, <laughs> we deal with people that have established their audience and it's growing in most cases right or they they have a, a good base and that's that but how does somebody go from like like i was just talking about how does somebody go from like 400 followers when you're doing whatever it is you're doing to all of a sudden having twenty thousand? how does that happen what is the like the triggers that allows for that so there's like well we can go back to viral content but you never really know when someone's gonna something is going to be viral yeah. You just, I don't know, like there's a lot of theories out there, but sometimes you see things that go viral and you're like, I, I, like, I did that the other day. Right. <laughs> I should have posted about it. I didn't think anything of it. Um, collaborations are really, really helpful. So if you collaborate with other Leveraging creators, other audiences. Yeah, exactly. And, and introducing that's the whole point yourself of, to theirs and vice versa. And that's one of the, the big points of working with brands is leveraging each other's audiences. Right. Um, but yes, leveraging other creators' audiences um, so that they can talk about you as well and vice versa. It's it's working together and not against each other. I mean, you've done that a fair bit where I've been introduced to other people, other creators, just by them participating in videos of yeah. yours. Or, it works. It's a community. You shouldn't look at it, at it like you're my competition for the next brand deal <clears throat> because you're hopefully you're offering different content and you have a different audience. But don't worry about that. How can we work together to actually grow together? So collaborations are super helpful. I want to actually bring up Dante Coley. You know Dante? What? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Seriously? I'm serious. Dante Coley, he's from Toronto, I think, or the GTA, and he blew up a few months ago, maybe earlier this year, actually. He went from like 20K to now almost 700K. And he creates these really fun, short, positive dance videos. They're oh, I've heard of. Not like overly produced. He actually, he, he edits them and, you know, throws in emojis. And it's always a fun song that he danced to. But there's always a positive message behind it. And BuzzFeed caught wind of them and wrote a story. And then he blew the F up. Right. So if you consistently do something that's interesting, that's true to who you are, it could really capture a brand's attention and you never know who's going to repost it. It's definitely a tougher one for me because I have never done it and I don't aspire to because I wouldn't like, it's a harder thing. You can be like, you you can now be like a daddy blogger if you wanted to. There's a lot of them out there doing very well for themselves. Um, No, that's not my area of focus, but um, yeah, people normally come to us once that is already established. So it's harder for me to, to, uh, backtrack it and say what helped you get there which is why I was curious to ask you about Fair it because you've actually gone through that mm-hmm. process everything that you said makes sense though working with other like-minded creators or people where there's an opportunity to sort of cross-promote and pollinate each other's audiences right like you yeah get introduced to theirs they get introduced to yours I should um, also sharing make- content Huge. for sure across so like yes, I used to I was blog just right say that yeah sharing it on multiple platforms or uh, distribution sites. So the example I was, 
that just popped to mind was I remember one time I wrote a this is going back like I don't know 2011 or something okay so let's backpedal a bit Tom used to have a blog in college he yeah. started in college right unsportsmanlike yeah. and it was great you actually did it for a while yeah it was like four years or something like that but there was one blog I wrote that got picked up by the Sports Illustrated website and we got a or got a backlink from Sports Illustrated and the site received like I don't know 67,000 unique visitors in like three hours just because Sports Illustrated had so many viewers and so many people had clicked through that link. And that was actually my first introduction to search engine optimization because like, wow, you get get picked up at a few different places that can really take off. I guess the example you just gave about BuzzFeed with uh, that dancing creator as well, same sort of deal. So even looking outside of your own channels but towards third-party channels that are relevant to the type of content that you produce that would probably be a good place to, to start. And don't stick to one channel, especially what we're working with right now. There's so much competition out there, but I think it's more appealing, like you had mentioned to brands, if you have a presence on more than one platform. And so that's valuable to brands, but I think for you as a creator, all these platforms are just many channels for you to get that content out there. So let's say Twitter, for example, if you have a really good post on Instagram, share it on Twitter so that the person who's following you on Twitter who don't know about you on Instagram will click on that link and they'll see what else you're doing and maybe a different side of you that they didn't know about and end up following you there. So I think it's important to really maximize that one piece of content, not just for one channel, but for as many as you can. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I bet. It is. It's a shit ton of work, but it's worth it if you want to make a career out of this. Any closing remarks, Tom? Um, closing remarks. I would just say to anybody that is sort of really focusing on developing their content, um, so a couple things, to really keep an open mind. So even if it doesn't... Okay, actually, let me back that up. Anybody that's out there that is fascinated by influencer marketing or is interested in potentially developing content to become a creator, my suggestion would be be willing to think outside the box a little bit because if you learn how to communicate effectively online, through social media, through different digital platforms, that opens up a lot of opportunities for you, whether you actually get to that stage in your career or not as a creator. And what I mean by that is there's a ton of opportunities to work on the brand side. There's brands that are really struggling to come up with a social strategy and a content strategy, and they can't take good pictures, and they don't know how to produce video, and they can't figure out what to talk about. So if you develop those skills on your own, you become very valuable on the brand side. Now let's look at the agency side. The majority, we have, I think we're up to like 14, our team. I'd say the average age of our staff is like, 26 or something, right? Like they're people that are fairly fresh out of school. Why? Because a lot of these people have just always been using these social platforms. They're super familiar with it. They're comfortable with it. And they've got some really great skills. They're really good. You just got to channel that energy and that enthusiasm and passion towards a specific project. But on the agency side, there's tons of opportunities for people that are passionate about digital media and that have a desire to get better at it. So even if You don't become a content creator on your own if you don't turn this into something that is a personal career for you developing your own brand and content. All of those skills that you develop along the way can help you greatly on the brand side or on the agency side. And it's weird, like we went to school for journalism and even when we were wrapping that up, there was like things were changing so quickly and a lot of people were saying journalism is dead. It certainly changed a great deal. But weirdly enough, I feel like the skills that you learn in journalism school are more applicable now than ever because every single company out there, every brand is now a media company. That was never the case before. They just had their product or service and then ran ads. Mm -hmm. But now they are telling their stories. They are talking about their people. They're talking about what makes them different. They're doing interviews. Like companies are media companies now. And these companies need people to help support that media company. And if you're a young person and you're interested in this stuff, there's never been a better opportunity. It's such a, it would be such an exciting time to be a young person for a passion for this within this industry because 
there's no shortage of opportunities. I agree. It's so exciting because, like you said, never before, I mean, before these brands became their own media companies, they they were hiring people for full-time jobs to tackle whatever. Now they're actually outsourcing. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're hiring creators, essentially freelancers, if you have a business. Um, and they're, they're working with people outside of their scope, which is huge for everyone who works from home, works remotely, is a laptop life kind of person. So the opportunities are really endless. It'd be interesting to see where it goes in about five years. You know what would be an interesting topic for a future show would be what, Tom? sales. Sales? Right. Because even if you come up with the greatest content and um, maybe you have like a really keen eye and you're super talented, but you don't know how to pitch yourself or mm-hmm. you don't know how to put together um, a presentation or a pitch deck or a proposal or you don't know how to close a deal, um, sales is so important. That might be something to talk about because there's probably a lot of people that would be interested in getting involved in this industry, but maybe they don't know how to sell themselves to a brand or to an agency or to find work. That's a great idea. All right, we should do that. For anyone listening, interested in becoming a creator, don't compare yourself to anyone else on social media. I think it's easy to get lost in social media to begin with because we're just constantly bombarded with so much content. But if you turn to other creators or influencers out there, Turn to them for, you know, inspiration, but don't try to mimic exactly what they're doing, whether it's the look of their page, how they execute their captions, hashtags, sure. But I think it's really important to really stay true to who you are, because if you don't, it sucks all the fun out of this. It does. And I still don't want to look at social media as a job, because sometimes you think, oh, it's a job. I got to do it. I don't want to do it. But don't get lost in what everyone else is doing, all those people that you admire, stay true to who you are and talk about what you want to talk about and show us in the way that you want us to see your stuff. Well said. Um, You are now at the stage of the podcast where we try to figure out how to rap because we always make it awkward. So let's see if we can make this smooth. Okay, here we go. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week. Take care. I think we did it. I think we did it too. Yes. Yeah,